you are listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. I am your host, Oscar Arriaga, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow Opasuans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are Opaso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we are about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Please note, any views or opinions shared in this program are personal and belong solely to the individual and do not represent the United Way of El Paso County or the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Welcome back to United and Resilient. In our first episode of Season 2, we will discover how a good night's sleep improves mental and physical health. We will listen to amazing tips on how to improve our sleep habits and learn to pay close attention to the factors that disrupt our sleep at night. We welcome Dr. Maria Isabel Macias from 8-Hour Sleep Clinic here in El Paso. Dr. Macias is a sleep specialist who practices sleep and internal medicine and is able to diagnose and treat sleep disorders. We have here Dr. Macias. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. Dr. Macias, of course, we, we all want to know about yourself, your medical background, specialty, and experience. Please share that with us. And of course, do tell us the journey that you took to becoming a sleep medicine specialist. Absolutely. So I'm an El Paso native, youngest of five, attended a school at El Paso High School. Very proud of that. Went to UTEP for undergrad, then went to Texas A&M for uh, medical school. I did return home to do an internal medicine residency training program, and then I left uh, to Houston to do a one-year fellowship in sleep medicine. And uh, you're correct, it was a journey going into sleep medicine. I never imagined I would be a sleep medicine specialist. I always imagined myself simply working at the hospital. And uh, when I was in my clinicals, we had several patients coming in asking for help with their sleep. And generally, I didn't have any great answers. I'd go to my attending, and they didn't have any great answers either. So really, I wanted to learn more, found a mentor, and realized that there's so much to learn about sleep. And that's really what started my journey. So that's where I'm here today. How exciting. Wow. Well, congratulations, of course. I am excited and thrilled to speak um, with you about a subject that affects everyone. No one can escape or bypass sleep. Sleep is such an important component of mental and physical health. Can you tell us how important is sleep and the quality of sleep to your our health, including our mental well-being? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you recognize the importance. I'd have to say that unfortunately, many people, even providers, don't recognize the importance of sleep. Uh, but sleep is an opportunity for our minds and bodies to heal. 
In fact, research indicates that it plays an important role in learning, memory, mood, judgment, and it also impacts our performance, for example, at work or even our athletic performance. Uh, so there's been studies, for example, that show that there's a positive effect of uh, speed, accuracy, and reaction time after a good night's rest. If we don't have a good night's rest, then we cannot think clearly or react quickly. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, the stages of sleep or our sleep architecture very important. Uh, there is REM, for example. A lot of people just know that as a dream state. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a highly metabolic state. And it's uh, where we're able to incorporate learned behaviors and any knowledge that we've acquired throughout the day uh, during our wakefulness. And so it's no surprise that as we're infants, we have a higher degree of the REM stage. And as we grow, lesser amount of REM. Uh, when it comes to sleep and mental health, those are very closely linked. And in fact, when we're evaluating patients for mental health conditions, we often inquire about their sleep. And so, for example, in patients that suffer from anxiety, we often see insomnia comorbid with that anxiety disorder. And so to, for example, get a better understanding of how sleep and mental health are linked, there are studies. Um, so there was one in particular where um, patients with anxiety were studied alongside those patients that did not have anxiety. And they underwent sleep studies and found that those with anxiety did have a longer time to fall asleep increased wake time, lower sleep efficiency, and reduced total sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason I often educate my patients that if we suffer from mental health conditions, they can be quite a challenge to treat if their sleep problems are not also addressed. That's very, very interesting. It affects us in every way. Can you tell us what are the common issues or challenges that affects our sleep? Absolutely. So we've already hit on one of them, which is our mental health being not only anxiety, but things such as depression or even post-traumatic stress disorder. But oftentimes I do see patients that experience chronic pain, for example, arthritis. So although they want to sleep, sleeping in certain positions may be uncomfortable for them and may lead to some sleep disruption for them. Um, as we'll speak a little bit later on as well, there are some um, sleep disorders which can also fragment our sleep. And of course, there's environmental factors. For example, I have a lot of patients that co-sleep with their pets. And so the pets take up the majority of the bed, leave, leave really? the corner for, their, <laughs> uh, for themselves. Or it could perhaps be a neighbor's dog that's barking throughout the night, or we have bright lights in our room, or even our partner snoring that might keep us up. You had mentioned about the sleep disorders. Um, I know the very common ones, of course, insomnia, sleep apnea, uh, narcolepsy. Can you explain um, each of those? Um, so starting off with insomnia. So insomnia is a condition where we have a difficult time falling asleep, maintaining our sleep, or both. A lot of times patients will wake up earlier than desired, and when they wake up, they just feel like they didn't have a great night's rest, and it leads to next day effects, such as feeling sleepy throughout the day. Um, a lot of people can actually experience an anxiety um, around their sleep because they know it's going to be a struggle for them. And uh, insomnia can be due to a lot of things as we've discussed. So it's always trying to determine what's the underlying factor or cause yeah. so that we can try to correct that. And if there is no underlying factor or cause in seeing what can we do to optimize our patient's sleep? 
Are there any signs that we need to look for when it comes to those type of sleep disorders? So insomnia specifically, um, for patients, usually they come to us because they've already tried over-the-counter sleep aids. So it's something that they've already recognized themselves. They know that every time they get into bed, it's going to be a battle to sleep. And they've already spoken to their primary care provider. Now they're coming to us because they know that there's something else that's going on that needs to be fixed. Uh, Now, when it comes to obstructive sleep apnea, we've already spoken about one of the symptoms, which is snoring, Mm -hmm. and that's probably the most common cause. So maybe the person that I'm speaking to tells me I have no sleep issues, it's my spouse. (laughs) (laughs) We can't, they can't sleep Uh uh, because of my snoring. And so, um, but other um, symptoms that they may experience is, again, also waking up feeling unrested, uh, maybe dozing off during activities that are very passive, and being moody or irritable are signs as well. And um, I know that you mentioned narcolepsy as perhaps being a common uh, disorder, but in fact, it's quite rare. So it's not something we see very often. And it's essentially a diagnosis of rule out. So if a person is experiencing um, sleepiness throughout the day, then we want to make sure that there's no other common cause of that and we evaluate them for that. But uh, I guess something to look out for is maybe sudden sleep attacks where they're falling asleep in a... a, a time where they wouldn't expect to be, such as during an important conversation or meeting, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but I would say one of the more common uh, disorders is restless leg syndrome. So this one is characterized by an irresistible urge to move our legs that's typically worsened in the evening and improves once we move. I know you've been in practice for many years. I'm curious to know, El Pasoans, what's the most common sleep disorder that you encounter? Insufficient sleep. (laughs) Insufficient sleep is one that's very important, um, which I know we'll touch touch on in a bit. But yes, so um, obstructive sleep apnea is actually common worldwide, but we know that with obstructive sleep apnea, there is a connection with obesity. And so I know that El Paso has come out on several lists as far as being um, overweight or obese population. Um, So just kind of given that factor, we are at greater risk of developing obstructive sleep apnea. You know, probably people right now that are tuning in, listening to us, (laughs) they're probably asking themselves, how many hours of sleep do I really need? You know, can you please tell us what's the average time people spend in bed to sleep and and how much of that time is actual sleeping or REM, like you say, Mm -hmm. which is rapid eye movement? And how many hours do you recommend that we sleep each night? This goes for children, teens, and adults. All right, that's a great question um, because as you've mentioned, we unfortunately do not get enough of it. And the answer is it depends, uh, just oh. as you said. Uh, oh. So generally we would say infants uh, need about 12 to 15 hours, of course, needing several hours of sleep a day. Toddlers, usually one to two years old, would need about 11 to 14 hours. Preschoolers, three to five-year-olds, we oh. would expect them to get 10 to 13 hours. Of course, that's cl- including nighttime sleep plus naps. And uh, school-age children, so those 6 to 13, we'd expect them to get about 9 to 11 hours. Teenagers, 8 to 10, probably nowhere near that, but that's what they would need. Um, Adults, 18 to 64, would be about 7 to 9 hours. And those 65 and above, it's odd, but usually as we age, we need less sleep, so that would be about 7 to 8 hours of sleep. Like I said in in the beginning of our podcast, one out of three get less than seven hours. Interesting. And I read an interesting fact, Dr. Macias. Before the light bulb was invented by Thomas Edison, the average person was sleeping 10 hours per night. Of course, you know, um, back then, that's, people wouldn't sleep when it got dark, and they rose when there was light. 
much has changed since those times of no electricity and, and now we have so many factors affecting our sleep. What are the things in our daily lives that might be impacting how much that we sleep and its quality? Yes, important question. So honestly, I feel that when we're pressed for time, sleep is one of the first things to go. We kind of view sleep as a luxury rather than as necessity. And that's why I was so happy when you were emphasizing the importance of sleep, because uh-huh. it is very important. And so a lot of times we tend to focus on what we need to do that day. So we may wake up earlier than we should. And when we wake up earlier than we should, we know that we're not going to be at our peak uh, mental performance, unfortunately, but it's something that we're willing to give way to in order to get our daily tasks done. But unfortunately, when we kind of put sleep on the back end, we tend to have other uh, issues come about um, because we know that insufficient sleep can lead to Um, some long-term consequences that we'll get to. But I also feel that people also struggle with having good sleep quality because they kind of view the bedroom as a place to do everything. So it's a place to relax. It's a place to do work. It's a place to surf the internet. So they kind of view it as a place to do everything but sleep. And so when it comes down to us kind of shutting off our brain and getting ready for sleep, we've confused our brain. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing at that point. People don't make it a priority. That's right. It gets to the end of the day, the end of the evening. They see bedtime, maybe it could be 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. They probably want to binge on some episodes. <laughs> also, catch up on social media. And that's when it comes, the, the effect the next day. No, absolutely. And so uh, I think that we don't really realize what it is that we're compromising when we don't give ourselves the opportunity to sleep. And so that's probably one of the most important things is being protective of our sleep. You are listening to United and Resilient. We'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Macias. Hello, my name is Johnny Cage. I'm a radio morning show host for 104.3 Hit FM in El Paso. Um, Been a lifelong resident, born and raised here in Chuco Town. Where was I when our world changed August 3rd, uh, 2019? I was actually at home um, getting ready to head out to the gym. And uh, I actually received uh, the information of what was going on through my radio feed um, on my cell phone. And then my fiance, Ebony, called me. She works in the, uh, in the medical field. And uh, she had been getting reports of, uh, uh, you know, what was going on. And it was just a lot of confusion, um, a, lot of, a lot of information being put out there. And we didn't know what to believe. I, I immediately turned on the television and was just like all of you guys i was shocked i couldn't believe this was happening um, in our hometown in our own yard Uh, i immediately started fear uh, to to fear for ebony as well because she is a in the she's a medical rep so she's visiting hospitals and um, she's literally stuck in traffic right in front of sailor vista mall so she had heard reports that someone was running and uh through the the traffic and you know um there was also just a lot of information though. It was multiple uh, places they were saying that they were, you know, they were on their way to Bassett. Um, there was something going on at Sela Vista. You know, we weren't sure, we knew it started at the Walmart. We just didn't know exactly what. And, you know, all we can go by was by what the, um, the news reports were telling us. Uh, it definitely is a day that changed my life, uh, surely. I mean, I was terrified for my community. I was terrified for everyone um, that was at in that area. I was terrified for my fiance. I felt helpless. Uh, I began to pray. 
I mean, I'm a strong believer in God, and and I started to pray, and I I prayed for everybody's safety, and you know, I I, I prayed that it was all just maybe you know a lie or false, and you know, then we started getting the reports, and my heart fell. You know, I've I've been uh, in the radio community here in our city uh, for over 20 years, and that was probably the hardest, you know, the hardest news I've ever had uh, in my life, and it felt like we were all being attacked because in, in reality we all were um it was very very um heartbreaking to see the numbers coming out and and knowing that they're not just numbers those are human lives that are being affected um people that were going about the regular day it could have been me it could have been you um what what's crazy is you know i remember thinking man i was headed in that direction later on um i would have been in that area two hours um you know uh, before everything happened so I kept thinking about that and I kept, you know, praying that, you know, we were, it was just all a bad dream, a nightmare. Um, kept praying for my fiance because she was terrified. I'm trying to calm her down. She's off the phone, you know, because her parents are calling her, the hospitals are calling her, you know, they're, they're trying to, everyone's just, it was just mass confusion. Um, it is, it is definitely a day that I will never forget for the rest of my life. Um, it made me, uh, really really realized just how light how, how fragile life is it made me think a lot about my loved ones it made me think about how short life is and how just in a blink of an eye everything can change and how you know just people going about their ordinary you know lives their life forever changed and they're not you know some aren't even here with us not only that just the trauma from that day will i think forever haunt us you know there's people that still will not go into an, a walmart or they still don't like going to stores by themselves um i personally uh, stepped into this walmart uh last week for the first time and i had to get out because it was just so, so overwhelming for me so i can only imagine that any anyone that was you know directly involved or inside the trauma and and you know the, the i'm sure the the nightmare that they still face when even driving around this area, going around this area, you know, and I say this with total respect to all the lives lost, to everyone affected. Um, it, it was heartbreaking. I'll never forget it. Um, it changed my life forever. I had, I literally canceled the events that I had uh, for the next couple of weeks because I just, I couldn't get myself to go out and try to, you know, make people be happy because at that moment, I, you know, I know that's not what we needed. We needed to heal. And I know that, you know, that week on the radio was definitely the hardest week of radio I have ever done in my life. I've reported a lot of stuff. I've reported a lot of stuff from, you know, that we get from all over the world, uh, all over our country, from, you know, different events and different tragedies. But it's totally different and it hits totally different when it's here in our own community, in a city that I love and I hold dear to my heart. Um, and knowing that we lost so many innocent lives for a senseless act. Um, you know, I, you try to, you know, you try to make sense of it and, and honestly you can't. All you can do is just pray and, and pray for healing and pray that, you know, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm very spiritual. I uh, pray that God gives you the strength and gives people the strength to overcome. Um, one, did, one thing that I did see that um, we became very strong, El Paso strong as a matter of fact, and it brought a community together like I've never seen before. I mean, just the support we got from all over the country and the world was amazing. Uh, I think it made a lot of us um, hug hug everyone a little bit tighter that we loved. It made us realize just 
how in a blink of an eye things can change. Um, but I saw a community, a city that sometimes, you know, we're not so united. You know, I saw a city come together. Didn't matter if you were Mexican, didn't matter if you were white, didn't matter if you were black, you were Asian, whatever. It brought us, you know, didn't matter what gender, what sex, you believe, whatever. It, it was all about El Paso Strong. We all came together as a community, supported each other, uplifted each other. We gave hugs, we went out there, we went out to the memorials, we hugged each other, we cried. We, we let people know we love them. And I think that's important. And, and it's unfortunate that it takes a tragedy like this to, you know, for this to happen, because this should be something that we do every day is, you know, love thy neighbor and, and always, always, you know, cherishing each moment we have with each other. But, you know, the light, you know, the, I guess the, um, the light behind all this is that I think it made people better um, right here where it counts in your heart. It, it made people realize, you know, just how fragile life is and how, you know, if we all come together, like we can do it, we can accomplish amazing things. Again, thank you. My name is Johnny Cage, and um, this was my experience on the day I'll never forget. And of course, is there a link between the stress and sleep? So kind of going back to, um, I guess, our earlier years or early in evolution, of course, we had to have some sort of defense mechanism to keep us alive against all the predators, mm -hmm. which is known as the autonomic nervous system. And this system is intended to release hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol in order to increase our heart rate so that all our vital organs can get blood that they need and so can our muscles. So our body's essentially preparing for action. Um, when we're stressed, we essentially have our autonomic system activated so that we can respond appropriately. Um, we're kind of in that fight or flight response. Now, when that happens, um, our body tends to just be in this chronically activated state, including when we're trying to get ready to go to sleep. So you can imagine you're stressed, you're trying to go to sleep, you're ruminating about your day, what, did, what went right, what didn't go right, what do I have to do tomorrow? And suddenly our brain is completely activated instead of getting ready to go to sleep. We eventually doze off, get into maybe some superficial sleep state, and then suddenly we're back up, kind of ruminating, worrying, concerned. And so it essentially can lead to some sleep fragmentation because we're essentially in the superficial sleep stages and so it's something that um, we know that there's a close connection with. And so getting that better control of our sleep um, and our stress are things that essentially go hand in hand. That gives me a segue. Having an excess of stress or fear about personal work-related issues and even trauma, how does that sleep deprivation worsen anxiety or vice versa? Our brain is fascinating. So we do have neurotransmitters um, such as acetylcholine, norepinephrine, and dopamine that are um, intended to uh, keep us in a wake or vigilant state. And uh, when we're in that highly active state, we tend to have perhaps elevated levels um, of those neurotransmitters but those neurotransmitters are also associated with sleep. So essentially there is a wake sleep um, switch. And if we're, um, we have this elevation, these neurotransmitters, it can make it difficult for us to transition into that sleep state. And so um, we know that, again, just kind of focus on uh, treating our stress 
and trying to lower those levels would assist with our sleep. Uh, we know that treating underlying medical conditions such as anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD disorder would also be important to help us get those balance of those neurotransmitters in an effort to um, help us be in a better mental state, but we also see that improvement in our sleep once those um, issues are corrected. Interesting how that lack of sleep affects both our health and our mental well-being. I know there's people out there that also oversleep. That's on the other side of the spectrum, I may say. But is too much sleep just as harmful? How many hours defines oversleeping? And what are the common effects for that when people sleep too much? So oversleeping can also be um, a sign that something isn't right. So normal sleep, as we've described, um, should average maybe seven to nine hours. And once we're getting more than those nine hours, we have to figure out why that is. And so, for example, um, do we have underlying obstructive sleep apnea? Do we have RLS or chronic pain? Is that the reason that we're staying in our bed longer than we should? Now, if we've evaluated and tried to correct those issues and we're still sleeping more than we should, there's something else that's going on. Can it be a key that perhaps we do suffer from depression or diabetes or heart disease that can lead us to um, just be more sleepy or tired than we should be? Um, but I do want to throw this in. Um, we do have some people that are short sleepers and some that are long sleepers. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yep, um, there is um, some people that are very fortunate and they have a gene that allows them to do just fine for five or six hours of sleep and they're good to go the rest of the day. Um, but same goes for long sleep. So for long sleepers, um, that means actually you need 12 hours of sleep, but then thereafter they're just fine. Um, but of course, that's after we've uh, ruled out or excluded other diagnoses. And so that would be important for us to do before we term somebody as a long sleeper. So we shouldn't be concerned with that teenager that sleeps after 12 p.m., maybe 1 or 2 p.m., and you've been sleeping all day. <laughs> Actually, um, so that was another common disorder, um, more so for teenagers, because I do see pediatric patients as well. Um, there is a circadian rhythm disorder called delayed sleep-wake phase disorder. And essentially it means that our body naturally wants to go to bed later and wake up later. And so in teenagers, that's often what we see. And what they do is they sacrifice their sleep during the weekday and they get insufficient sleep during the weekday, which means they can have difficulty with consolidating information and recalling it the next day, for example, during a test. And then on weekends, they try to make up their sleep, that there is no ability to wake up, make up our sleep necessarily. And so um, we should be concerned if that's what we're seeing. <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting, because now, of course, we're, we're entering the, the month of March, and this month, we have the, our daylight savings times that begins on March 13th. So we spring forward our clocks and to adjust them one hour ahead. Does that one hour of change make a huge impact on our health and mental well-being? And how does time change impact our bodies and brains too? Please add any recommendations to prepare prior to March 13th. Yes, uh, it's tough. We get a lot of patients that were experiencing insomnia or issues with their circadian or internal clock rhythm that we've corrected and then daylight savings time comes and so we kind of have to backtrack and try to fix that. Uh, so we know that unfortunately around this time studies have shown an association between 
um, heart attacks, episodes of atrial fibrillation, which is an abnormal heart rhythm, stroke, uh, traffic accidents, or just increased influx in emergency room visits, and it can lead to mood disturbances as well. Um, and this can fall back to a lack of sleep, and I know we didn't get into too much detail, but um, lack of sleep can have a lot of issues on our health. Um, in order to prepare for it, I would say um, it's not a cram session where you try to do it day up. <laughs> you try to prepare maybe a week ahead. And I would say um, the week before we're springing forward, try going to bed maybe 15 to 30 minutes beforehand. Um, and that way your body can try to adjust. And uh, when you're ready to wake up that hour earlier, at least we know you got a little bit of extra sleep. Um, it's not going to uh, be... Um, something that's that's easy to prepare for because nobody really wants to go to bed earlier as we said we have a lot of things to take care of during the day um, would also suggest uh, just being very strict with your uh, sleep schedule being very protective of it uh, making sure that we continue to have very consistent eating times, social activities, um, exercise. If you're going to exercise, be sure not to do that a couple of hours before bed. You want to do that maybe four or five hours beforehand. Uh, try to avoid taking long naps uh, because long naps can also make it a challenge for us to go to sleep. Avoid caffeine um, and alcohol uh, at least several hours before bedtime. In fact, try to limit caffeine to the morning if possible, or at least early afternoon. I imagine that same goes for having a meal. I know people, you know, where they, they go to sleep late, but having a full stomach. Does that also affect... Yes, yeah, so um, when we eat, it can also uh, play a role with our circadian rhythm or impact that circadian rhythm. So our circadian rhythm or that internal clock, when it knows we're supposed to be sleeping versus awake, it takes in a lot of cues. And so some of those cues are bright sunlight. Some of those cues are eating or meal times as well. And then just to add into that, a, a, a full stomach can lead to some maybe acid reflux. And if a person already has untreated sleep apnea, for example, then it can make that acid reflux worse and then just lead to more sleep disruption. Interesting, very good information, very good tips. Of course, this is Dr. Macias, is what I wanna remind the people. Uh, where can they find you again? I know you're at the eight hour sleep clinic, but I know there's one in Eastside location in Loma Land. So fortunately, I'm able to see patients at both. On Mace on the West Side. You know, you want to better your sleep or want to follow those tips. Dr. Macias provides that great wealth of information. But I need to ask you, Dr. Macias, what does resiliency mean to you? I'd say it's uh, getting back up even when you don't want to. You may not see it right away, but there's plenty of reasons to do so. And just remember you're important. And so that's what it means to me. Dr. Macias, a few years ago, actually, back in 2019, August 3rd, El Paso experience a very dark history. People have had that that traumatic stress and it may have affected their sleep. Can you provide details on that? Yes, and anytime we experience an event that is tragic to us, uh, we can see that affect our sleep in actually various ways. So for example, patients that uh, do experience post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, we know that they are uh, they have difficulty with sleep to include insomnia and maybe even nightmares. And it can be difficult for them to get a good night's sleep as they constantly relive the moments that were stressful or painful for them. And so 
this can lead to insufficient sleep and insufficient sleep we've kind of touched on some of the short-term effects which can lead to us not be able to perform physically and mentally to the best of our abilities but we also know that if we're unable to find coping mechanisms to overcome the post-traumatic stress then we are at risk of having long-term um, insufficient sleep and we know that chronic insufficient sleep can be tied or linked to other health issues to include obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and hypertension. Um, it can also lower our immune function or our ability to fight infection. So it can impact us in several ways. So most important thing is always seeking help and asking for a way to help you to overcome uh, the any sort of stress that you may have experienced and find a coping mechanism to do so and also coming to the sleep center so that we can talk about your experience and see how it is that we can help improve your sleep quality um, as your journey to heal as we know that sleep is so important for healing i agree it's very important it, it affects both our mental and our physical health Dr. Macias, can you provide a hope for El Paso coming out of the tragic event that happened on August 3rd? So when I heard of the tragic events unfolding, it broke my heart. And I'll be honest, um, it, it really, really um, impacted me in a, a way that it probably impacted most natives um, to, to note that there are so many people from home that were hurting. And, uh, but soon thereafter, I saw our resiliency and our ability to spring back from that moment and the closeness that it brought together and our ability to not forget, um, but also not hate and to heal as a community. And so just being from El Paso, I know how strong we are and what a beautiful community we are and what a loving community that we are today. We were then and will continue to be forever. Thank you, Dr. Macias. Thank you, and thank you for your time and expertise on how a good night's sleep improves both our mental and physical health. She is part of the 8-Hour Sleep Clinic team here in El Paso, and I want to thank our listeners because this information benefits you and your loved ones. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC, where you can learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery. I'm signing off. Get a good night's sleep, and I'll see you soon.